So in this passage, he starts out with a term of endearment, my little children. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. This is the first of seven times that he says this in his letter, calls them his little children. That reflects his age. He was, he was uh, an, an elderly man, as we saw before we started the book, the only one of the apostles to die of old age, and he was at this point, but also showing the affection that he had for these readers. And then he gives really the purpose for writing this. He emphasizes that the reason he's writing is to keep them from sin. Now, in the first chapter, uh, we've already seen established that uh, we will sin. But in essence, he is teaching them that if you are a child of the living God, you, sh- you will sin, but you should sin less. Does that make sense? It should not be the pattern of your life. It should not be what you are, are known for. And when you do sin, he's about to tell them there's a way to deal with it. Now, last week in, in our, our passage, uh, we saw if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But then it went on and said... If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and the word's not in us. And then he goes on and says, my little children. So he is, he is uh, continuing on from how do, we, how do we repent? How do we ask for forgiveness? Why? What's it going to, to do in our lives? And he is explaining that to them. So there is a way to deal with it. Now, there, there's two things here uh, that can be seen in the Greek that are harder to see in the English translation. I don't want you to get discouraged by that, like, oh, well, I don't, why do I study Scripture if I can't tell anything from the English? Most things you can. But sometimes, and, and here's one of those cases, and uh, uh, there, there's some insights in, in the Greek that, that are helpful to, to really understand what he's saying. Uh, we're going to make this distinction throughout the book. There will be uh, times when John is talking about a pattern of continual sin when he said, when he talks about sinning. And I'll try to point those out when it's talking about a pattern of ongoing continual sin. But here he's talking about an act of sin. You see the difference? Rather than it being a whole pattern, it's an act. It's not a continual, uh, repetitive habit. There's a big difference between the two. Now, John uh, is is allowing not, not that believers are continually sinning, but that there will be isolated times when they go against their nature. So let me clarify that. Our identity as believers 
should not be as saying, well, I'm just a sinner. Now, I know we talk that way. I've said that myself. And there are contexts where that communicates something. But we have to be careful when we, uh, when we use it as our identity because here's what can happen. If you say, well, I'm just a sinner, it's almost as if it can justify that's why I act this way. And we shouldn't do that. So our identity should not be I am a sinner, but rather, as I've used in the title of this series, I am a child of the living God who sometimes sins. There's a big difference between those two. Because if you say it that way, I am a believer, I'm a follower of Christ, yes, who sometimes sins, then you're saying, when I sin, I'm going against my nature rather than I'm just doing what sinners do. You know, we all sin, and it can be justified in that way. So what does John write that will help them and help us sin less? Well, he writes about Jesus and what he did. He talks about the reality of sin and its ramifications. So let's see what he goes on to say, even in this first verse. But if anyone does sin, do you see he's saying it's almost like it's the exception? When, when, you know, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Again, that's what we just sang about. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, an advocate is one that speaks in defense of another. Uh, the word there is uh, from, the, from the root word paraclete. Now, the reason I say that is because we've talked about this before, para meaning alongside of. So it's one that is called alongside of, someone in assistance to another. But it's the same, if it sounds familiar, it's the same root of what Jesus gave the name to the Holy Spirit of. The paraclete. We translate it usually the comforter. You see, one that comes alongside of. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. But that is also the role of Christ in that he is our advocate that is in heaven. And Christ has an advocate on earth, the Holy Spirit. So here's how Jesus explained it. In John, this is the Gospel of John, chapter 5. I'll just read it to you, verse 24. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment. He has passed from death to life. So if we're in Christ then we will not pass into judgment. Once we are justified, once we are in Christ, 
we've been justified by God who is the judge. Then we enter into the family of God. We are one of his. We are his child. And then we relate to God, not as the judge, but as our father. Then if that child should sin, we don't need another justification. We don't need Jesus to die on the cross again because what he did was enough. And that's what he is getting across here. That forgiveness is provided through Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, let's talk about what takes place with that defense. Uh, Verse 2. In the outline, I put the ultimate defense. He is the propitiation. I know you always want to know what that meant. So at your next Christian cocktail party, you can... You can say to somebody, uh, so what do you think about propitiation? And they're going to go, I always wondered what that meant. And then you're going to be able to tell them. So here's what it says. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So it's time to do some theology. Propitiation. The, the, the most boiled down definition is atoning sacrifice. Atoning sacrifice. If you have a New International Version, that's actually how they translate it. They, they don't use the word propitiation. I like us keeping this word because actually in that day, The pagans used that same word, but they used it in a very, very different way. So John here grabs it back from them. So let's try to explain what that means. What are the the bottom line meanings of this? We instinctively know that punishment is necessary for there to be forgiveness. We know that instinctively. Yeah, think about children. Let's have a, a get a little boy and a, uh, and his sister, and the little boy's friend comes over to their house, and these two boys think, you know, what would be fun would be to take her doll and let's play keep away with that doll. Not that little boys would ever do anything like that. <laughs> So they begin throwing it back and forth, and yes, before you know it, uh, the doll's arm or leg comes off, and the doll is broken. Uh, The little girl is in tears. Now, if uh, at that point the parents are called in, I promise you, the parents are going to be called in at that point. If the dad or mom just says, oh, you know what? to his little girl, boys will be boys. Just forget it. That's not going to be satisfactory. That won't work. Because she will, she will know in her heart, and she'll be right, that an injustice has been done. There needs to be a punishment for there to be justice in this case. So, If the parents say, well, we'll have him uh, uh, save up money and buy you a brand new doll or 
he's going to have to go to his room um, or uh, that his little friend isn't going to be able to come over for a few weeks. You know, some kind of a punishment that fits the problem. We know that instinctively, that there needs to be some kind of uh, punishment. Now, let's, let's talk more grown up. Um, I'm looking around. I think many of you would remember there was a, a series of movies. This was a long time ago. Uh, the Billy Jack movies. Anybody remember those? Oh, my goodness. Well, anyway. Uh, <laughs> let me try to explain to you young people. <laughs> yeah, so Billy Jack was... Uh, uh, he. I don't remember all the details, but he had become like a karate expert. He'd been in the war, he'd been in the service and so on. And he decided to be a pacifist. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't fight, he wouldn't use that ever again. And so it, it, it's just your classic kind of revenge movies. So you can fill in your own favorite revenge movie. Um, but so all during the thing, uh, Billy Jack keeps getting picked on and not doing anything back, just ignoring it. And, and they're, they're getting worse and worse. And, and now those around him are getting hurt. And that's, it builds up through the whole film. And as you sit through that film, like a revenge film, uh, you get more and more frustrated. Oh, this isn't good. This is, this is really bad. And then at the end of the movie, um, Billy Jack uh, in the original one got, got surrounded and then he proceeded to, um, to beat them all up. Okay? It was awesome. <laughs> now you know what I mean. Because what happens at that point in your typical revenge movie is you go, oh, and you're relieved because finally all of this took place and justice has been done. And then they go merrily along, okay? Well, why are those kinds of movies, and there's all kinds of them in, in that genre, uh, why are those popular? Well, because in some ways that's, that's life. That's kind of the world we live in as it feels like, like justice is not being done. And, and I'll just tell you, it's not until Jesus comes back when we will finally take that big deep breath. So if, if you're waiting for justice in this life, uh, sometimes it comes in in little amounts, but ultimate justice, not till Jesus comes, but it will. So how does that work with Jesus as our advocate in terms of uh, the sense that there's got to be punishment for wrongdoing? Well, who were the wrongdoers? We were. We sinned. Okay, so here's what it means. It says he is our advocate our defense attorney, if you will. But he doesn't really function like what we would think of a defense attorney would. Um, if, if, here's what happens, uh, you know, and I've, I've learned all this from 
watching 2020 and Dateline. So that, that's, where, that's where I learned about everything I know about law, okay? But what tends to happen is, um, you know, you see, you see the crime and then the trial comes and the prosecutor gets up and you're going, oh man, that case is devastating. It's, it's, it's terrible. It's, uh, you know, he or she's really guilty. And uh, then the commercial comes, they come back, and, and then the defense attorneys get up, and they start building the case. And you begin going, hmm, wow, that's, that's amazing. So what do they typically do? Uh, well, a def- in, in our world, a defense attorney might encourage one to, to plead innocent or try to produce extenuating circumstances or, or plead a, a temporary insanity or something like that or try to e- explain it. But that's not what Jesus, our advocate, does, even though he's our defense attorney. Our advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous, stands before the Father the judge, and acknowledges our guilt. But then he presents his work on our behalf as grounds for our acquittal. He doesn't say, oh, you know, they had a bad background or try to explain anything away. He says, Father, they're guilty. And you're angry because they are guilty. And there must be punishment. But Father, as you know, I've already taken that punishment for them. That's what we're talking about. Now maybe you don't like the idea of uh, God having wrath. Well, God's wrath is not some kind of an unpredictable uh, passion uh, or vengeance. That's what the pagan deities were like. That's why I say they use that same word, but very differently. One commentator put it this way, that his wrath is a settled, controlled, holy antagonism to all evil. So Christian propitiation or atoning sacrifice is not a bribe either from us or a third party. On the contrary, the initiative for propitiation is entirely God's. That's the amazing thing about it. Out of a love for his children. So in Christianity, the offended one is providing for the offense. So God can be perfectly just and perfectly loving. Notice it says that, not that Christ provides propitiation, it says he is the propitiation. Not that he uses it. He is that which satisfies divine justice. And takes away our sin. And takes away God's wrath toward our sin 
and toward us. Now in the last part, we have to ask the question, well, who's it for? Uh, It says, not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Really? The whole world? So to understand that, we've got to first understand what it's, it's not saying there. We know that on the cross, he didn't make payment for every sin in the world. Otherwise, everyone in the world from that point on would have been saved. And we know not everyone is saved. So it can't mean that sense of paying for every sin in the whole world. So what is it saying? Well, John Stott says, it is offered to the whole world, but enjoyed by those who embrace it. Another commentator says, it means for no one in the world, whole world, is there any other way of being reconciled other than that of the propitiation of Christ. So this is speaking specifically to the Gnostics. We've talked about them. That was a heresy in that day. And uh, the Gnostics would have said, well, you know, you've got you've to know the secret in order to, to, to have a, a relationship with God. And John is saying, there is no secret. <laughs> this is the way. This is, this is it. And it's the same way throughout the whole world to every tribe and nation. He's saying there's no secret. It is the good news to the world. And Jesus, how did he put it? He made it clear. In John 14, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So did he lie about that? Or was he, was he just crazy? No. Because if he, if he lied about that or he was crazy, then, then not only is he not the way, he's not even a way to God, if that's the case. John Calvin said, this in terms of the sufficiency of Jesus. He said, never fear whether it is not enough sacrifice for you. It is enough for the whole world. So when you're feeling like, well, I'm, you know, he can't forgive me again. John says, oh yeah. Oh yeah, he can. Because what he did is sufficient for the entire world. So in terms of application, first of all, you cannot provide propitiation for your own sins. Stop trying. How am I trying that? Well, if you're thinking that you can do good, enough good to outweigh the bad in order to go to heaven, you're trying to do enough good To stop God's wrath? Don't kid yourself. You cannot. It took the infinite, perfect sacrifice of Christ on the cross. But what he did was enough. He finished the work of redemption on the cross. Trust him. 
for salvation. One of our mission partners is Jonathan Jakes. Uh, He is over in England. He's the one we had here. He grew up with with our, our kids in the previous church that I served, and he and his wife and children are in England. Well, Jonathan uh, uh, is awaiting a surgery to remove a benign brain tumor. We put that out for prayer, and he will have that over there, about a seven-hour surgery. This past week, Jonathan's older brother... 42 years old, died. And Jonathan was not able to come back for the service. Imagine the death of a 42-year-old. If that one is an unbeliever, I've done funerals of believers and unbelievers. There is no comparison So yesterday, we watched a live stream of Jeff, his older brother's funeral service. Jeff had two children, a wife, was in what appears to be a very fine church, and there was lots of tears, you can imagine. There would be at any service like that. But there was also worship. There was also singing. There were words of hope. And the gospel was there. How can there be any hope in that kind of a situation There is only one reason. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Let's pray. Lord, will you um, help us to gain perspective because of your precious word, because of of what you have done. You, the offended one, provided for your wrath to be taken away, your wrath toward us that was righteous. It was right. We deserved it. But you gave your one and only son to take that away. Thank you. Praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.